You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jackie Cummings-Koski, and you're listening to the Earn and Invest podcast. Before I found the financial independence movement, I thought it was all so hard. I didn't know how to invest. I didn't understand the math behind funding retirement, and I couldn't even contemplate the notion of enough. My paradigm shift, which I often refer to, reading Jim Daly's book, The White Coat Investor, was sudden and powerful. A few hours of reading mostly clarified everything, financially at least. Which begs the question, can anyone pursue fire? You, I, the average Joe or Jane, even dummies? Jackie Kamikowski didn't grow up with any positive financial role models in her life and was never adequately educated about money. Not at home, not in school, and not even in college. Jackie is determined to help raise America's financial IQ through education and financial literacy. Her upcoming book, Fire for Dummies, will be available through Wiley Press April 23rd. Jackie, welcome back to Earn and Invest. I feel like we have to start with the granddaddy of questions. Is FIRE, Financial Independence Retire Early, easy? Hey, Doc G. Thank you for having me again. You know, it's always good to hang out with you. I don't think reaching FIRE is easy because if it was easy, everybody would probably be doing it. You know, who doesn't want financial independence? I think that one of the hardest parts is the mindset shift because if you don't think you can do it like forever, I thought that I couldn't do it. There's like no moving forward. It's not. You got to get the mindset right. And that is hard because how we grew up, you know, what we were exposed to, that's ingrained in us. So how do you even get to the point to say, I think I could do it. You know, I'm I'm going to get started. So so it's it's hard and I would say it's probably harder in the beginning. Once you get going and you start to like pull back the curtain, it might not seem so hard. So you mentioned it's hard to get over this mindset. Maybe physically what you have to do isn't particularly hard or emotionally what you have to do isn't particularly hard, but it's hard to get to the point where you're ready to hear it. A lot of that might be because of the role models you had growing up. Talk about your financial role models growing up. I used to think I didn't have any positive role models like you mentioned. Now, through you know writing that first book, um, Money Letters to My Daughter, I, I thought deeply about what did I learn about money? And was it only looking at things that meant that we were wealthy? Even though we weren't wealthy, you know, I grew up in poverty. My dad actually had some pretty good money habits in terms of not going into debt that helped me down the road. I didn't see that as a positive. I didn't realize that till later. He had an incredible work ethic that every single one of his kids took with them. That was huge. So there are some nuggets that I took away from, and my dad, he passed away when I was 18. So before I graduated from high school. So all these things were in the formidable years. You know, these things were shaped and things that I grasped before age 18. So these happen at a very young age. And so I picked up a few things from my dad, mainly by watching him. That was actually a pretty good role model, but it was in the early years. Everyone else around me, let's say my, like I was first generation college graduate in my family and, and there, it was six of us. So I was five out of six. So I didn't have anyone holding my hand. I didn't have anyone taking me through the FAFSA process. 
I didn't have anyone guiding me through, do this, do that, let's help you move in. I didn't have any of that. And I felt like I was on my own and knew so little compared to everyone else that maybe had their family rallying around them. So that was a, a big deal. And, you know, all of my family, they're, they're good people, they're caring people. I love them very much. But for the financial stuff, there was not a whole lot. And, and I, I ended up trying to, you know, dig and scratch and learn about things on my own. Just, just, I think one of the biggest things was just being in a different environment. I moved away right after college. I was exposed to so many different things while I was in college. And then once I graduated and I moved away, I think that was a critical move that definitely helped me think differently about things. Talk about that moment when you realize that maybe it was up to you to do things different than the adults you grew up with, right? So it sounds like you did have some good role models in the sense that the adults around you growing up got by, right? They didn't get into major trouble. Right. But when we're talking about financial independence and fire, we're starting to talk about not just getting by, but we're talking about thriving. We're talking about abundance. We're talking about saving for the future. Can you remember when you had that mind shift and you're like, oh, my parents, my family, everyone gave me something that was important, but I need to take it a step further. Yeah, the, the big mind shift came. So I, I got married shortly after college, had my daughter. We we moved away as a family. And I was married for about 11 years. And after being married for 11 years, ended up getting a divorce. And that was a huge wake-up call for me. Huge. Because when it came down to like splitting the retirement accounts, I didn't realize it was such a huge disparity. Uh, we were making about the same money. You know, it wasn't like I was a teacher and he was a doctor. Like we both, you know, worked in corporate America, made a, a decent amount of money at the time. And I had $20,000 in my retirement account, my 401k, and he had 120000 So I figured it might be a little bit different, but that huge disparity, it was cringeworthy. And it made me think on earth. And for a long time, I couldn't figure it out. And now going back, I can see it was basically, you know, he started making a little bit more than me, um, but that wasn't the only difference. He was investing in different things that grew faster. He actually worked for a very, one of the large banks and the bank's stock was inside of the 401k. And this was like 2004, 2005, 2006, when banks were outstanding. So that helped him. And so, so it was a series of little things. And if you add those out, think about compound growth. So that gap kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Help, help me understand this here, though. So weren't you guys discussing this? I mean, did you defer some of the financial decisions to him or was he making financial moves without telling you like what was happening at the time? Yeah. Well, the short answer is no in terms of the investment. At the time, I wasn't interested in investment. We never looked at our 401k together, never did a net worth statement, never did any of that. What we did was the paychecks went into the bank account and we paid the bills. I think for a while he was paying the bills and then that shifted to me at some point. I think he missed a bill and I was like, well, I'm going to do it from here on out. <laughs> so we did not talk about all of those things. And we'd been married for 11 years. And, and again, it goes back to... I never saw a role model like that. I never saw many couples. Most people in my family were divorced. I never, and, and the same with him. So you don't know what you don't know. And, and, and definitely we should have been talking about that stuff, but we never looked at things as a pile to get. We had a shared checking and savings account. And so our checks went in there. But beyond that, that was it. Like, honestly, if I looked at the 401k statement, I wouldn't even know what I was looking for. We're going to talk in a moment about how you discovered the financial independence movement. But before we got there, you know, it hits me that maybe for you at that time, maybe you didn't know everything, but in a sense, you're like, I've made it right. I'm not struggling with the things my dad struggled with. Maybe I'm not struggling with some of the things my community struggled with. So you thought before this divorce, maybe that you were doing fine. Exactly. I felt pretty good because again, we've got both of us were working. We both have a job, you know, beautiful daughter, happy family with the white picket fence. Like everything seemed, you know, perfect. And we were doing this journey together and it definitely made the load a little lighter. You know, we could pay, 
I guess one of my measuring sticks was that we could pay our bills with ease. Hmm. You know, uh, we were able to, you know, get a house. I remember, um, so I had been working, my first job out of college was working at Walmart headquarters in communication. So that was pretty good. That was my big move. And Walmart, and I think they still do this, but you can buy Walmart stock at a 15% discount. And so I, somebody told me to do that at work. So I did that. I, I don't even know if we had a 401k at, at Walmart. I, I ended up working with a different company. But the I remember that I cashed out all the stock to put a down payment on the house. And so we got the house. We were able to pay the 10 or 15% down payment. And we it was fine. We had a great backyard. My daughter was happy. She went to a great school. Yeah, things were were great. I mean, you know, I was very comfortable. I was content. And I did feel like we had made it because I wasn't in poverty anymore. We could pay our bills. We had, you know, good jobs. And it was feeling pretty good. So I think this is a key point here. It's kind of mind shift number one is you kind of realize, even though I'm my head's above water today, that ultimately for the future, I might need to do more. That for you, it sounds like really hit home during the divorce. Talk about the divorce and how it led you to financial independence. Because again, realizing that maybe you didn't have a huge hold on everything at the time of the divorce, he had more in his 401k than you did. That's one thing. But how, how did you go from there to, hmm, there's this thing called financial independence and I really need to start pursuing it? Yeah, it was a slow process. The main words that came to my mind was it was a scary time. It was an emotional time. It was sad. I, Like you were mentioning, I felt like we were in a pretty good place. And I hate that that was kind of destroyed now. And a lot of the people that I grew up around, they were divorced, you know, maybe, you know, getting having a second family all these things. And I just wanted what I thought was like just this wholesome, you know, household dynamics, you know, and, and I wasn't able to give that to her anymore. You know, those decisions are not just one person it's two people at least. And so I hated that I did that. And I felt I was probably too hard on myself when it, when it came to that, but there's a lot of emotion, you know, when it comes to divorcing. So if, if you've been divorced or, you know, people that's been divorced, it is a tough time. And so it took me about two years to sort of sort through all of that myself. And that's why I say the mindset shift is so important. So after a couple of years, that's when I started saying, okay, you know, we've got the shared parenting agreement in place and all of that. So there's weekends that I don't have my daughter. And so what am I going to do? So I started asking myself that really hard question. So now what? you know, what do I like to do? What do I enjoy? And it was a funny thing. And this is probably not the first place to start when it comes to uh, personal finance, but I was very interested in the stock market and investing. So I ended up joining this investment club and it's, it's head, uh, headed up by a nonprofit organization called Better Investing. I was able to go to the club meetings, you know, it was an investment club. They allowed the public to just come and observe. And I did that a few times. And I really was so interested in companies and the leadership and the performance of the, the company, things like that. And the people were very nice to me, but I did take note that most of them were older, either retirement or very close to ret retirement age or close to it. And I remember thinking it's too bad that people don't start thinking about their money until they get older. Now I was the youngest person there, but they were so kind people. And more than anything, they were smart. Every single one of them was smarter than I was. So I learned a lot. And, and I went on to continue with that investment club for you know 15 years. I'm still a part of the organization, but that's where most of my financial education started. And it wasn't just about evaluating stocks and learning about the stock market. It was really about realizing that you have to invest to get your money to grow. You shouldn't be afraid of the stock market because I certainly was at that point. And so I started thinking, you know, now all the bells are going off. I'm thinking, well, why am I not maxing out my 401k? Why am I not maxing out my um, IRA, my Roth? Why am I not, you know, investing in my health savings account? So all of those things started turning the light bulbs on. So that was probably the igniter for me to learn about my finances. And I ended up, you know, 
wanting to share all this with my kid, of course, as parents, as um, soon as we learn something, the first thing we want to do is want to teach your kids. So that's when I, I wrote the book, Money Letters to My Daughter. It, it was just my outlet, my way of getting out all this information. She was a teenager at the time. And so she wasn't listening to anything I was saying. So I figured, you know, part of my program in college was journalism. So I enjoyed writing. So when I started writing the book, it took two and a half years. It it was a passion project. I only wanted one person to get the book for sure. And that was my daughter. But this helped me organize my thoughts. I learned a lot in the process. And once I wrote the book, I started doing all these financial education sessions and workshops because at this point I'm, I'm thinking, so that's it. That's it. And then the thing that really opened my eyes around fire. So, so let me give you the years because people didn't start talking about fire until a certain period of time. I want to say this was around 2008, 2009, 2010, um, wrote the book in 2013. So I would say 2013, between 2013 and 2015, that was when I started discovering fire. And I remember there was one, um, memorable thing that happened. I was doing, I was working at the company that I retired from. I was there for 21 years. And we had, we would have these days where you go and you do work in the community and and it was like a regular work day. And so we are at this park and we are cleaning up the part where whacking weeds and doing all this stuff, but there's a steep hill and I'm up on the hill and it was, it wasn't rainy, but it was dewy from the night before. And I just remember I tripped, I thought I tripped over something, but I ended up breaking my ankle while I was there. Yes. It it was just so crazy. I don't even remember what happened. It felt like I, I tripped over a stump and I looked behind me and my foot was backwards Hmm. and it scared me so much. I didn't fall after that. I just went to the ground because I was just devastated. And so had to call the ambulance, went to the hospital. It wasn't just a sprained ankle. It was broken. And so I had to take short-term disability, you know, workers comp, all of that stuff because it was a work event. And during the time that I was on workers comp and disability, you can't do work. So what are you going to do? I started listening to podcasts, yeah. <laughs> yeah. going online, podcasts is my, I'm on a podcast now, but podcasts is my preferred way of learning. If I know someone's written a book, I'm going to listen to a podcast or read the audio book. So that's when I came across, you know, Mad Scientist, Mr. Money Mustache. And I had more questions than answers when I was reading them because I'm a skeptic by nature, but I was curious. So I kept digging and digging and digging. And that's when I was getting more of my answers and, you know, more light bulb, another series of light bulbs started going off in my head. So that's what got me to the point of learning about fire, being curious and sort of moving down that direction and saying, you know what? I think that's for me. I thought you were going to say that you were on this cleanup, you tripped and broke your ankle and you had tripped on Vicki Robin's book, Your Money or Your Life or something oh, like that. But that, <laughs> that, that, that would have been a really classic story. Figuratively, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you discover financial independence while you're bed bound or can't move around real well. You're on disability. You're listening to podcasts. You're reading the books. Was it like, oh, I need to retire early? Like I need out of this workplace situation or was that kind of at the back of your mind? You know, thankfully, I wasn't running away from work. I I enjoyed the work that I did. I enjoyed the company that I worked for, great benefits. I enjoyed my coworkers. I was in sales, business to business sales. I I work with attorneys and then some government agencies, most of them in New York. And I enjoyed my clients. So I didn't hate my job, but I wasn't super passionate about it, or at least not to the degree that I was for personal finance and investing and teaching other people about it. So honestly, I came up with every excuse in the book to not retire or to convince myself that I can't. Um, I was a single mom. You know, I grew up in poverty. There's just no way I could do this. What I was doing in the meantime, as I'm working full time, I would do, you know, financial education workshops, presentations, talks, training, all of that stuff. I did both of them at the same time and it was getting exhausting. 
So finally, I got to the point, I'm like, it would really be nice to just focus on this and not worry about the money part. But I had this big fear, you know, throughout my whole life is that I did not want to be in poverty again. So anything that even looked remotely like that, I wasn't going to do it. So I needed a bigger cushion than probably the average person before I walked away. I wasn't okay with just a job shift and being an entrepreneur. That was not safe enough to me. So I wasn't willing to walk away until I literally was at a point of being retired where I could live off my investments. Because if everything went wrong, I did not want to be in poverty again. I still wanted to be okay. So when I was doing my numbers, I assumed zero income. Everything would come off of my investments. So that was my worst case scenario. I kept making up excuses like, you know, what about health insurance? There's no way. Well, came up with an answer for that. You know, what about getting money out of these retirement? So all these questions that the FIRE community get asked, I dug and found the answers myself until there were no more excuses. And that's when I kind of made the move. We are talking to Jackie Cummings-Koski. She is determined to help raise America's financial IQ through education and financial literacy. And we are talking about the FIRE movement. Is that the answer? Is it easy? Is it accessible? We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest Podcast. You know what? I love our meals from Factor. My son started getting them about a year ago when he needed a quick alternative to meals on the go. But where we've really enjoyed them is we've been remodeling our kitchen. That's right. We've had no access to our kitchen for the last few weeks. And some nights we just had no idea what to do for a meal. That is where Factor came in. We would just pop the meal in the microwave and two minutes later... We'd have a fantastic meal. You can do the exact same thing, and there's tons of variety. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also, discover more than 60 add-ons every week. These are chef-prepared meals, and let me tell you, they are delicious. No fuss, no mess. You just put it in the microwave, and two minutes later... You have a meal. This is tailored to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Head to factormeals.com slash earn50 and use your code earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code earn50 at factormeals.com slash earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. All right, so most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down. But the good news is there's something better, and it's called Monarch Money. I started using Monarch Money myself about five months ago, and I knew immediately that I liked it more than any other budgeting app I had ever used. For one, it focuses on collaboration. This is easy to share with your spouse, your partner, your financial advisor. And it's aspirational. Not only can you look at your current budget, but what do you want to buy? What do you want your goals to be? You can focus on those in Monarch Money. It's the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Furthermore, you can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner, and now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. Again, that's monarchmoney.com slash E-A-R-N. What I like about this app is it's intuitive, easy to use, quick to sign on. It's collaborative, as we talked about. It's customizable. The idea is you can use this app the way you want to use it. And the reason why is the Monarch Money team is customer focused. They are focusing on you, me, and all the other people who want to use this app to live a better financial life. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. 
We are back with Jackie Cummings-Koski. Her upcoming book, Fire for Dummies, will be available through Wiley Press April 23rd. And we're talking about the FIRE movement. So first and foremost, Jackie, is the FIRE movement the answer to America's financial woes? Is this like it? Is this what we should be suggesting to everybody to improve the finances of America as a whole? Well, I think FIRE can improve things for a lot of people. It's not for everybody. It does take some focus. It's not easy. But I guess if I had my wish, I would want everyone to know that that is an option. Will everyone reach their financial independence number? Probably not. If you don't have the income to support it or the savings habit and investing habit to support it, probably not. But it is something that I I wish everyone would be aware of and know that it's an option and and know that what it entails, because, you know, a lot of the headlines can get kind of salacious, right? And it, it could be a turnoff immediately where somebody's like, oh, I wouldn't want to do that. Like, you know, I've heard some kind of negative descriptions, to be honest. And so that's what I, I wanted to do with the book. I wanted to present a little more balance to it from the lens of someone that that did grow up in poverty and had it pretty hard, but also from someone that actually reach financial independence and retire and is willing to talk about it and be very um, open about the mistakes I made, the things I did wrong, the, the the thinking that I had, and and that I believe that this is something that everyone can embrace. And at some point or on some level, improve their finances. Fire is a great word, but it's not really a new concept. You know, we've heard these concepts before. So if the fancy name gets you in, I think you'll stay for the idea that you can actually make some moves that's going to improve, you know, your finances. In a moment, I want to ask about how accessible it is to the majority, right? Because we know, for instance, at the beginning, especially of the fire movement, it was really engineers, high income people, et cetera. But before we get to the accessibility question, you said that there's definitely some pushback out there for the fire movement. Why do you think that pushback is there? I mean, I'm thinking about it and the idea is let's build and improve everybody's finance. What's there to push back against? I know. Sometimes I don't get it either, Doc G. I think some of it is that if sometimes when you're doing something good and other people are not, they just don't see it in a very positive light or they'll pull out of it what fits their narrative. And, you know, I've done a few videos and things like that, that I thought were pretty positive, but there's always a few negative comments. I, you know, at first it's not fun to read anything negative about yourself, but honestly, I love to read them now because it, it gives me a glimpse into other people's minds because when there is something negative said, usually it's, in that person's headspace and not yours. I'm a stranger on the internet. So so I'm not the object, really. It may be what I represent. I don't know. I think some of it comes from the idea that you have to deprive yourself. And, And honestly, in the early days, I do remember this, that I felt like it skewed more towards scarcity, frugality, minimalism, and that turned me off. But if you see those things and you just walk away, then nothing happens. No movement is made. But I was looking at that. I'm like, "Mm, I don't know. And I started digging into things and using my own measuring stick. It's like, that's not the gospel. That's not the only way. And so I think doing that was what kept me going and moving forward to know that it's not just one way. And, And I had already accepted the fact that I am not the typical avatar for fire. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about that specifically. I think that gets into the accessibility question, right? So people ask me, they're like, oh, yeah, it's for kind of tech bros and engineers and people make a lot of money. And I can point to, hey, my friend Jackie Cummings-Koski, she's a big proponent of this. She retired early. She came from poverty. But even then they can say, yeah, but she kind of was part of corporate America, et cetera, et cetera. So is this movement accessible? to maybe people without the high paying jobs or people who don't look like that traditional avatar. Now, granted, as you were talking about, the avatar is changing. Like it has changed over the years. Uh, But the original avatar was very white, 
very middle to upper class to start with, very educated, very highly paid individuals. Does this make sense for us to say, hey, you know, you who's living maybe in a little bit worse of an area, who's closer to the poverty line, who's maybe working two jobs? I mean, does this rhetoric work for them too? Well, the way I look at it, I know how hard it is to get over the poverty mindset. That was really hard for me. And so exposure is a big deal. And, you know, when people say, well, this is accessible, you know, this is available to anybody. It might be available, but you don't know what you don't know. You know, if your uncle, your friend, your buddy or whoever, you know, mentions fire to you, or maybe because you work for corporate America, someone else mentioned it to you because, you know, of where you work. But if you're not exposed to any of that, how on earth would you know? You know, so so I love the idea of exposure. And sometimes that exposure comes from the messenger. So Doc G may talk about fire. You know, he's he's a physician and all of that. And, you know, so your message or the message coming from you may hit some people different than if it were coming from me. Jackie, the little girl uh, that grew up in poverty in South Carolina, black girl and, you know, divorce, you know, all of these adversities they might embrace that a little bit more. We're all somewhat biased in that way or attracted to certain people, certain voices, a message coming from a certain place. And so I think that matters. And and that's a role that I'm I'm happy to play. And that's part of why I try to be as open and as transparent as possible. I'm not happy to talk about some of these negatives and some of these obstacles or things that I've had happen in my life. They're not fun, but some people will at least appreciate the fact that you're willing to share your mistakes to say that it's not a straight line. So the poverty mindset is hard to get over, even if financially you're doing okay to get to the place where like, like when I had the the happy family, you know, when I was younger, I thought that was it. That was the Mecca. And so I was willing to stop there until something else happened. Sometimes good things can happen. Sometimes bad things being the first college graduate, that can be a thing that, starts you on that path where you're thinking about more and more and more. So when, obviously when, if I started like in 2013, 14, 15, I was seeing the original avatars, but it didn't turn me off. I was, uh, maybe it was because I was working for corporate America because corporate America had mostly white men anyway. So, so having that in the fire community wasn't much different than anybody else, but what helped was that there were different voices for me, mad scientist, like that was my guy. I just loved the way he talked about things. And I just loved how his mind worked. I think he read the whole IRS code. I'm like, this guy's a genius. Why wouldn't I listen to him? I can listen to him for free, you know, and we can listen to different voices other than our own. And that may even be required on certain topics. And I always like to I guess, remind myself and everyone else that if you are at a lower paying job, if you are not a high income earner, does that have to be a permanent state? It shouldn't be. And if you start looking at all the parts of the formula of building wealth, you know, find out which part is not working or which part that you know you have to work on. Some things come naturally. Like for instance, my dad taught me about not having debt. So just automatically, I really didn't have that much debt. And I think it came from what I learned from him. So that wasn't a big obstacle for me. But even if the high income earner has a bunch of debt and can't invest and and save and he spends all all of his income, then that person's not going to make much movement either. So I, it, just in the early stages, as you are determining, okay, this is the thing I'm lacking. This is what I w- want to work on. This is my challenge. You start to do that, even if it's just a little, little tiny pieces at a time, because you're at least building the muscle. And I like to talk about savings in that same context that, hey, if you only got $5 to save, start saving that. Just be consistent, make it automatic. And you are building that muscle. So when you do make more, you don't have to worry about that piece. You don't have to worry about working on that muscle because you already did that part. It hits me as ironic, the reality that the original fire avatar 
actually are not the people who really need the message. I mean, the high income earners and the professionals are going to be fine. The people who really could benefit from this message is actually your avatar, right? This is people who came out of poverty, who got past poverty, but they're right there on the cusp, right? They're starting to live life. They're starting to spend, but there's not a lot of extra there if there's a big emergency or something unexpected happens or a job loss. But that segment, that group, fire could be utterly life-changing. Absolutely. And I purposely, a lot of the groups and workshops and education that I do, I love going into inner city schools. I love going into rural schools like the one I grew up at. I love serving that demographic because finally they may see someone that can explain things the way that they understand and maybe had a very similar experience. I I remember when I went to this one high school, you know, I I grew up in rural South Carolina. So most schools were like down a, you know, 15 miles for two lane highway just to get to the school. And you've got, you know, the mossy trees and all of that. I just remember I was going to just talk to a personal finance class at the school and the teacher had gotten with the principal and they wanted me to talk to the whole school and do like a big assembly, you know, like in the gym and all that. And I was happy to do it. The way I start out, because this was very close to where I grew up, I probably knew some of their families and all of that. And I just started and I say, you know, everyone in this room is probably doing better than me when I was your age. I was on the free lunch program. I had to wear, you know, the hand-me-down clothes. We really only bought New, maybe a new outfit at the beginning of the school year, and it better lasts until the end. So most of you guys are probably doing better than me, but you don't have to stay there. I didn't stay there. There's a way to move the needle. And I just started that way, just kind of being vulnerable and just letting them know. And I'll say everyone in that room probably was doing better than me. Hmm. So I think the messenger does matter. And yes, the demographic that may have grown up in poverty, I guess I just want them to know that this is an option that's not that complex. Because if you think about the messaging from the traditional finance world, they're not checking for the poor girl that grew up in South Carolina. No. So how do they learn if no one's reaching out? I mean, I, I love that, you know, more and more schools or more and more states are requiring personal finance in order to graduate from high school. I think that's an important part because if you're not getting it home, you know, where are you going to get it from? And maybe that can help level things out a little bit. Um, so I'm a huge advocate of that because honestly, if I would have gotten just a little bit of that when I was in high school, I can tell you it would have made a big difference. So I'm imagining the emotional scene. There is Jackie returning to a poor neighborhood, talking to the kids, saying, look at me, and you know more than I knew at that time. Why isn't this catching on more? Like, why hasn't the fire movement taken off and spread as much as it could? I mean, I suspect the number of people who are aware of fire, interested in fire, is is a tiny percentage of the American population. Yeah, I can tell you that it is. Anytime I'm home or in most circles that I'm in from childhood or whatever, nobody's ever heard of FIRE. So, of course, I, I get used to just saying, yeah, FIRE, financial independence, retire early, always spelling it out. And I'll just say, you know, it's just basically wealth building. It, it's it's a fancy new name, but it's, it's not a really a new um, concept. I wish that it was exposed to more. I think part of that could be that now these uh, states are uh, requiring personal finance in order to graduate. That's an opportunity to get that in there. I've gone to a ton of schools. I even have relationships with certain schools. I have one uh, near where I live now. Her name is Miss White. And she's been at schools where the kids are in jeopardy of not being able to graduate. And, you know, she always warns me about they could have behavioral issues and stuff like that. Well, Miss White takes care of that. And we talk about money. I give away $2 bills. I engage them. Some of them are interested in real estate. And I just love these conversations. And I don't like the idea that they're bad kids or they have behavioral issues or they're not smart. I hate those things. So if I can touch, you know, a little bit or touch some people, I want to be able to do that. And and I, I think a lot about, okay, the one to many, when I wrote my book, Money Letters to My Daughter, because it was written for a teenager, 
she was 14 at the time when I started writing it. And she was like 17 when I was done because I wanted to give it to her as a high school graduation gift. So that book was helpful in sharing what I was trying to teach her. You know, it was very very clear and concise and trying to be a little bit funny, put it in a series of letters that could be standalone to her. And, you know, it turned out that a lot of other parents and teenagers, they, they got it and, and they were very interested in it. So that was one way that I was trying to touch more people. And, and as a, uh, a, se- a sequel to that, I just did a lot of presentations. I loved being in high school. I loved being in colleges because I knew that they had so much time to get it right. That was my approach at the time. And, you know, now, you know, there's plenty of adults, older adults that never got the the personal finance in high school that, you know, don't know a lot either and feel like they're behind. So I'd like it to be, you know, more available. Um, I think sometimes the headlines might turn a few people off, but that's why I openly share my story. And I want to try to continue doing things in a one to many format so I can touch as many people as possible. Up until this point, we've been talking about all the positive things associated with the financial independence or FIRE movement. What does FIRE get wrong? Is there anything that kind of hits you as, boy, this is the one place where I wish we changed the way we talk about it? I think a few of those things was as they're still around now, but more so in the early days, like, you know, minimalism and scarcity mindsets and things like, I mean, you can go overboard. And when a lot of the conversation is about, oh, I have $200,000, 200,000 miles on my car. I mean, that's great, but you know, that's not going to be the average person probably. And it's fine if you don't want to do it that way. There's always areas in your life that you can maximize or optimize things, but it's up to you which things you want to spend that focus on. Yeah, I go to Aldi, so that's fine. That's not a big deal. But there's certain other things like I don't have the car that's 200,000 miles. You know, I'm not driving the clunker and that's okay. So I don't think we hear enough. You know, now you have these different, you know, subsets of fire. You've got the fat fire and lean fire and all of that stuff. Um, I don't really like labels, but I get that that is one way to sort of say there's no one way to approach this. So I think it felt very rigid before. And a lot of the stories that were told, especially early on, was things that probably wouldn't attract the average person, Uh, or at least not in my mind. And again, even if I didn't espouse to what they were talking about, there were so many other ways. And I just found something else that would flush out what I was interested in doing. And again, my situation, very different. I was a black single mom. You know, my experience is different. Okay. I don't have a spouse that's making $200,000 a year. You know, I'm doing all these things on my own and just so many of, you know, the the travel, you know, it's like, well, you know, I don't do a ton of traveling. That's just not really, you know, my thing. So I guess I wish it was more out there that, you can design this the way you want. And just because someone's telling their story, take it at that. It's their story. And think about, I always like to talk about superpowers. Like, what's your superpower? So you're good at fixing computers or you are you know how to change a battery. Well, sh- I was going to go get my, my iPhone battery changed. It was like 80 bucks. Mm-hmm. So if you charge 25 bucks or 30 bucks and people trust you, hey, you got a lot of extra money on the side there. So I just like people that everyone has superpowers. So I I feel like a lot of the conversations they may have had, people aren't pumping them up. And I love to pump people up. I love to see people win. So I'm like, you know, everybody has a superpower. Like, what's your superpower? It could be something as simple as, I don't know, you're a speed reader. You just have a certain talent or uh, this certain gift that has been untapped. You know, that's a that's a fun exercise. You know, you don't even have to give me an answer, but if you think about it, what things are you good at, better at than most people? And there's probably a way to make, you know, money from it or for that to help you, you know, on your journey. So the people listening to this podcast are probably intimately familiar with financial independence fire, but maybe they have other people in their life they want to introduce the concept to. One way, obviously, is to have them give this person your new coming upcoming book, <laughs> Fire for Dummies. But what's that kind of first step that we can help people take 
other than going and buying your book? Are there things that are just an easy way to begin? If somebody gave me that book and I hadn't heard of it, it probably wouldn't be the thing to get me. <laughs> but um, if you're a reader, it might. So one of the main things that I realized about myself is any book is not always the answer. Think about how does that person learn the best? Even your teenager, I hear people ask that a lot in some of the groups, you know, they'll say, oh, my, my teenager is graduating. I don't want to get them a good book. Well, maybe they don't like to read like that. So think about how they like to learn. It might be YouTube. It might be podcasts. They might be a visual learner, an auditory learner. So think about that first. So, so if there's a great book, let's say Simple Path to Wealth. You cannot go wrong with that. I don't know if I've read the printed book, but I'm going straight to the audiobook. Or I may go straight to a podcast where J.L. Collins is condensing it into simple things. Or think you, you just got to meet people where they, are, where they are. So for instance, if they are maybe a nurse, a labor and delivery nurse. Well, my friend Nasima, you know, she talks all about that. She's a ton of fun. So you just got to make it relatable. And you got to make the gift about them and not about you. They may not want to be into fire at the level that you are. Maybe they come at you, they're interested in investing. Like, don't completely discount that. That could be sort of the starting point, like it was for me, the starting point to open your eyes about all these other financials, financial things. Like the, the teacher, Miss White, that I'm going to see in a couple of weeks with her, her student, they're ninth graders. And in her text, she tells me, she goes, oh yeah, I'd like to, you know, we've been working together for years. So I like to, I pop in every now and then and and do an hour class and we talk about finances, but she puts in the text. Okay. Most of them are ninth graders. And I really like you to come out because they're all investing on cash app. (laughs) Like, So guess where I'm going to start? the investing on Cash App. There's always a way that you can take where they are at and what they're interested in and relate it back to some personal finance topic. I can't go in there and start talking about budgeting when all of their minds is on investing. So yeah, find out like where they're at and just personalize it from that perspective. That's how I would get somebody else. Same thing with with my daughter. I remember um, when she was 16, she got to get her first car and I could never get her to go on the internet and look up anything for me. Well, it was time to find a car. We we set set up the parameters. Okay, you've got $8,000. And the only reason she got that much money is because from a first job, I told her I would match whatever she saved. This girl saved $4,000. So I had to match it. So I'm like, okay, if you don't have to get anything that costs $8,000 and we were going to pay cash for it. I said, you don't have to get something that costs that much. I said, if it's less than that, you get to keep the rest of the money in your bank account. You know, so she went and looked at, you know, she, you know, put in the different filters and that girl was looking every day at those cars. And then when it was time to go look at the vehicle, she always, I didn't do any of this myself. She, I always took her with me. She was always a part of the process and it was a teachable moment, but I had her attention. If this would have been a year prior, she would not, she would just blew it off immediately. So just take advantage of the teachable moments and make it about the person you want to give this gift to and, and go, go about it that way. Well, Jackie, I wanted to thank you for coming on the show today. We started with the question, is fire easy? And the truth of the matter is there's nothing particularly difficult about the concepts of financial independence, but what is difficult is the mindset. And as you've reminded us, in order to get past that mind shift roadblock, you have to recognize people like you who understand where you are and where you've been and see since they can make it through, since they can meet you where you are, you can get past some of these things too. And so I think we're lucky to have people like you, Jackie, who speak to some of these segments that traditionally weren't getting noticed from the personal finance industry. I want to end this episode the way we end every episode by asking you what is up next in your life and where we can find you. First and foremost, tell us about Fire for Dummies. It's coming through Wiley Press. It'll be out April 23rd. Yes, I'm scheduled to be out April 23rd. I am hot and heavy in, uh, you know, getting everything finished up. So it was it was just so great to be on your show to uh, talk about it a little bit. But yeah, so I appreciate this 
partnership with Wiley because they're obviously a very big publisher. And I knew that it could get exposure to people that perhaps have not even heard about fire. So my goal with this book is to get it in the hands of people where it may be a new concept. I break things down. I'm kind of giving you the guidebook on how you would go about this. You know, I'm not throwing around 10 letter words, trying to make it complex. I'm breaking it down for everyday people through my lens as um, someone that struggled in the beginning, someone that had some disadvantages, and someone that decided to really amp up her game with personal finance, you know, getting different credentials and, and making sure that I had a clear understanding of these concepts. You know, I, ha- I had gaps. I was mainly self-taught, but I knew I had some gaps. And that's when I went, you know, for my CFP and my AFC and, and these things that filled in the gaps that made me a better messenger on sharing some of these concepts that can be complex but figuring out how to break them down where everyday people can understand them was was mainly my goal. So I am hoping to kind of touch even more people with this book. You know, you can find me at my website. I'm on social media. I'm on LinkedIn too. You know, for anyone that does LinkedIn, I'm a corporate girl. So I've got uh, a LinkedIn profile that I spend a lot of time on, but also, you know, Instagram and my website is Phenomenal Woman. And that's Phi with an F and an I, like financial independent. It's an homage to um, Maya Angelou and Phenomenal Woman. So yeah, all those places you can find me. And it was just an honor to kind of be able to talk through this. You know, I've lived and breathed fire for a long time and it's just a part of who I am. And, and, you know, I do love to share it with as many people as I possibly can. Jackie Cummings-Koski, thank you so much for being on Earn and Invest today. Oh, thanks, Jordan. I'm so glad to be on with you today. That's a wrap. Earn and Invest is now part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to this show as well as other fine podcasts. I want to talk a moment about episode 498. That was Mindy and Carl on Money, where we talked about being thoughtfully reckless with spending. Roger, who's part of my Wealth with Purpose Mastermind, who is a friend of the show, wrote in our WhatsApp group. We have a WhatsApp group just for the mastermind. He said, never have I heard Jordan express so many opinions on his show. And Carl and Mindy asked Jordan as many tough questions as Jordan asked. This also reminds me of an episode I recently did with Vicki Robbins and Douglas Soy, where we talked about whether FIRE, Financial Independence Retire Early, should come with a warning label. In both of these episodes... I tended to express more opinions than usual. Let's go back in time a little bit to when this was the What's Up Next podcast, way back in the day when it was Paul Thompson and I, and we were doing mostly panel discussions. My belief was that I shouldn't insert a lot of my own opinions into the interviews. The idea was to develop these great conversations by asking our guests these difficult questions which would pull out and elucidate their most closely held beliefs. And the only part of me that I really wanted to be there was the interview technique. Like you could get an idea for who I was and what I believed in by the type of questions I asked and by the type of guests that I decided to bring on the show. Now, that has evolved over the time. As we became Earn and Invest, I started adding in an intro segment. In that intro segment, usually I tell a story. Usually it's a personal story, and it warms you up to the idea of what this interview is going to be about. So I decided to bring a little more of myself in with that intro segment, but not necessarily into the interview itself. Then, as of the last year or so, I've also been doing these closing segments. So again, I've been able to bookend the interview with more of me, my personal beliefs, my viewpoints. All this is to say, though, I still have been very careful about bringing my own opinions into the interviews. As of late, I've done more than that. And honestly, part of the reason is that my guests have been asking for it. So when you get guests like Carl and Mindy Jensen, who are themselves podcasters, they interview people all the time, or my good friends like Douglas Soy and Vicki Robbins, people who I'm used to having these really deep conversations with, they don't only want to spout off opinions on my podcast. They don't only want to answer questions. They actually want to also ask questions. 
A lot of them have expressed to me this idea that they'd like it to be an interchange on the show, not just them being interviewed, but they like to have a deeper conversation in which I give some of my opinions. So if you'll notice recently, I've done more of this. Does this mean that I'm going to be doing this every show? No, it really depends on who the guests are. And some of these more philosophical shows where we're bringing people well-known into the community back, like a Vicki Robbins or a Carl or Mindy Jensen, the idea may be there that it's a lot more of a give and take, a more of a back and forth, that maybe you're seeing a little bit more of me in the show. But even if you don't hear me in the show, there are plenty of places where you can learn more about me and my viewpoints If you're listening to the show and it tickles your fancy and you're like, I'm wondering what Jordan thinks of all these different ideas, the easiest way is to go to earnandinvest.com slash substack. There you can see my blog about purpose specifically, the purpose code where we're talking about the ideas, topics, and subjects that are going to be in my next book. And I give tons of opinions there. There's no interviews. It's only me writing about what I believe in. That's one way. Another way is to take part in the Path to Purpose coaching, especially if you feel like you have things you want to work on. That's earnandinvest.com slash coaching. There we can talk about some of your issues and you can see my viewpoint through my coaching. And last but not least, of course, there's the Facebook group. That's earnandinvest.com slash Facebook. All of these are places where you'll learn more about me. I give more of my opinions. You see more about what I believe on these different topics and issues. But I still like the idea that for the podcast itself, mostly I'm featuring other people. I'm elucidating other people's ideas. I'm asking the questions that get them to tell their deepest secrets. And I'm doing it for all of you. All right, I leave things running just for a moment to catch anything we talk about after. Anything about the book, at least as it stands now, or anything about your journey you think we didn't talk about or didn't touch on that was important? Um, no, I, I think one of the unique things was the mindset and the mental uh, part of stuff. Um, not really. Uh, if, if I had to separate it from like all the other fire and personal finance books, I would just say that I kind of hit a lot of different levers and in, in terms of the lens that I have, you know, that I, cause some people don't even care about retiring, but I did retire. I had to retire in my situation. Um, and then, you know, got the credentials and stuff like that, where I could talk about these things. And I, um, I had a, uh, Wiley let me choose the technical editor on the book. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know if I told you, did I tell you it was Cody Garrett? Oh, I know. I know. I didn't know. Yeah. That. So I, cho- so they paid him and everything, but, um, the, you know, I, I, even though I have a credential, you know, there's plenty of things. So I, I, after the mindset and after all that stuff, I do get into some notes, nuts and bolts. And I'm always fighting between simplifying it and getting it accurate. And Cody's good at, you know, catching the things that maybe I simplify too much or whatever. Um But yeah, it's just good to have him um, as kind of like part of the team to uh, catch some of those things. And tell me about retirement. How do you like retirement? And do you consider you, so you, uh, right now, do you have any active income? Like, so you have your CFP, do you actually make any money doing that? Or is it more just kind of passion? I mean, I don't really like, I just work a lot with people that I like. So I like you. Um, with my CFP, um, I am doing some work with um, Sarah Catherine Gutierrez, you know, Sarah yeah, SC. Yeah. yeah. So and this is just a little bit of stuff. Um, I like project work. I don't like, like if somebody wanted me to work 10 hours a week doing blah, I don't know if I would be attracted to that. I just like project, like at least the book is going to be finished at some point. I'm crazy with writing takes a lot of time and a lot of energy. And I just was not moving as fast as I thought I would. Cause I thought, you know, I'm like, I live and breathe fire. It's not a big deal. I still consider myself retired because I just, I can't even imagine ever going back to the 40 hour hustle. Um, I don't know how any, and and I don't know how anyone else sees it. And honestly, I don't care. You know, I, I, I do write a little bit in the book about use your own measuring stick. It's like, okay, so if 
you let someone else listen to this. It's like, well, she says she does some stuff on the side. She's writing this book. She makes money from that. She's not retired. Okay. That's fine. That's your opinion. That's fine. But for me, I still consider myself retired, not doing the hustle and the grind. And it's really not that big of a deal. Like I don't even need to put that label on for you or anybody else. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. The corporate world is like the ocean. It's alluring, but it's also full of deadly creatures that can shred you to pieces. It becomes kind of like a Game of Thrones political arena where everyone's trying to murder you to get your job. My family doesn't come from corporate backgrounds, so I didn't have any sort of guidance in that. This is not your typical work podcast. Sometimes you need to be empathetic. And then there are times that you ask for input, but you don't really give a shit. <laughs> Listen to the Ambie Award-nominated podcast, Surfing Corporate. <laughs> Stretch opportunity. What is this, yoga class? Get out of here. <laughs> 